Welcome to Sermon Seasonings, the podcast of Christchurch Claysville, where we look in more depth at the passages that we were exploring on the Sundays. And I say Sundays because there's more than one. I'm Dave. Uh, and I'm Braden, and that's right, we are going to be looking at the last two sermons that we've heard, where we've really seen the gospel event of the Old Testament, where we see Israel, God's people, rescued from slavery in Egypt, both through the Passover and the crossing of the Sea of Reeds, which we looked at on Sunday. Indeed. And so what we're going to do today is uh, Braden's going to share some of his reflections on some of the bits that he didn't get to necessarily talk about in his talk from the incident with the Passover. And then I'm going to talk about a few things from chapter 13, 14, and then we're going to cast our vision to a later commentary on this same period of time by a prophet that would come hundreds of years later. So teaser for later on. Okay, Braden. so we'll kick off with you, with chapters 11 and 12, with the plague on the firstborn, the Passover, the festival on unleavened bread. Um, what are some of the things that you think, um, in addition to what you got to share with us two weeks ago, mm. um, that, that might be helpful for us to observe? Yeah, we didn't spend much time in chapter 11 at, at all. We've got God giving the command to Moses and then Moses having the discussion with Pharaoh about this 10th plague, this final blow that's going to come. And um, I might get you to read chapter 11, verses 4 to 7, uh, if you can, Dave, because again, we, we see that God is going to make a distinction uh, between Israel and Egypt. So while you read that, we'll chat a little bit more about that after. Cool. So Moses said, This is what the Lord says. About midnight I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die. From the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn son of the female slave who is at her handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. There will be loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there has ever been or ever will be again. But among the Israelites, not a dog will bark at any person or animal. And then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. Thank you. I love how you read that. I feel like you really um, gather the ominous tone that's there dum, dum, dum. in the text. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but again, verse 7, we see that a distinction is is going to be made. And, and we looked at the plagues the week before my sermon, the first nine of them, yeah. and we saw that the first three plagues, it seems apparent that Israel actually were inflicted by those plagues as well. There's not really a distinction made because we get to plague number four, in that second set of three, and suddenly we, we see that a distinction is made. Mm. And here again, it comes up, a distinction is going to be made between Israel and Egypt. But what's interesting, once we, once we actually get to the plague of the firstborn, the Passover, the distinction is made through instructions that are given to Israel. Israel actually told to do a whole heap of things, including killing this uh, lamb, this uh, one-year-old lamb without any defect, making sure they eat it roasted over fire using bitter herbs. And it is the then the blood that is painted on the doorpost that actually makes ends up making this distinction between Egypt and Israel. So there is a distinction, but it happens in a very different way. And I think a question that starts to come out from that is why do they need to do this for this plague in order to have this distinction made? You know, you think of the plague of darkness. It was just light in Goshen, but dark yeah, everywhere else. Exactly. So nothing happened. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Why yeah. is it here that actually 
something needs to happen. Israel needs to do something in order for this distinction to be made. So as we come to chapter 12, we have lots of these instructions, especially in that first half of chapter 12, as to what they're to do. And then we get to verse 12 and 13, and we start to get an explanation as to what's going on here. So Dave, do you mind reading for us verses 12 and 13 of chapter Chapter 12? 12. Yeah. Okay. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals. And I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. So these verses are really highlighting what we focused on a lot on the week uh, on the weekend that I preached, and that was that this blood is going to be a sign that that death has happened here. Death has already happened in this house. Uh, this is the lamb that's died in place of the firstborn. But what it also does is it says this house is not the same as every other house in Egypt. This house has actually, I would say, had a change. Mm. If we go all the way back to chapter 5 in 19 to 21, which is where where we focused on realizing that actually Israel are identifying themselves as the servants of Pharaoh. That God was saying, I'm going to rescue you so that you can worship, same word, serve me in the wilderness. Mm. And then they, just a few verses, a chapter later, have come back and gone, actually, Pharaoh, we're your servants. We want to serve you. Don't be harsh Mm. to us. And three times in that little passage, they're saying that they want to serve or they ask Pharaoh's servants. But the blood now here in chapter 12 is saying, actually, they're, they're, who they're serving, their allegiance has changed. This is no longer a house that is serving Pharaoh, but it's a house that has obeyed God's instructions. Mm. And he's actually now serving Yahweh because they have obeyed his instructions. They've killed the lamb as a substitute and then they've painted the uh, doorposts. There is a distinction here that they have moved from serving Pharaoh mm. to now serving God. Yeah, are they the servants of Egypt? And Pharaoh, or are they the sons of Israel? And and that that marker distinguishing the two. All right. Well, how about we jump now to chapters thirteen and fourteen? What have you got to bring forth for us, Dave? Okay, I thought we'd zone in on some of the the language, and uh, and think about some of the just the implications of slightly different ways of thinking about it or or, mm. or reading it. What what we often find is we've spoken about before in the podcast is is the fact that when you're translating from one language to another, you try uh, good English smooths things, right? And and <laughs> because that's what reads well in our language, and it is, that's what a good translation does. Mm. However, sometimes what we're interested in, in when we're trying to understand theological concepts and exegeted text is not necessarily a smooth or what is a good English, but what helps expose what the text is originally inspired by mm. God Shows us what the original and readers. What the original readers. That is mm. that. That is exactly right. So I thought we could start by you reading us two verses. I want you yep. to read chapter thirteen, verse three, and chapter thirteen, verse fourteen. Great. Well, this is verse three of chapter thirteen. Then Moses said to the people, "Commemorate this day, the day you came out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, because the Lord brought you out of it with a mighty hand. Eat nothing containing yeast." That was verse three. Yep. And now this is verse 14. In days to come, when your sons ask you, what does this mean? Say to him, with a mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, 
out of the land of slavery. Okay, so when you read in the book of Exodus, the land of slavery, it's not the word for land at all. <laughs> um, to be honest, I don't quite know why they've translated that as, as land, but, but you know, yay. It's probably the King James Version. Yeah, that's right, that's right. Um, it's actually the house of slaves. So it's not the land of slavery, it's out of the house of of slaves. Mm. So just tell me as as you hear those two phrases together, what 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 does um are there any difference or in feel between the, the phrase land of slavery and the house of slaves? Yeah, I mean land feels much bigger and yeah. broader and le- a little bit less personal. Yeah. House of slaves feels much more much more personal and much more even family orientated um mm. Yeah, this yeah. is the this the place where the slaves belong. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The, the, the slaves inherit it. out of the house of slaves. It's much more closed in, like a clo- closer, much more intimate and personal, isn't it? Yeah, very much so. And and so it's it's it seems to be tied. It's it's a bit more identifying, I think. House of slaves. Out mm. God has with a mighty hand brought you out of the house of slaves, um, than the land of slavery. Um. The, you can see that they're not miles apart, right? But they're, no, there's, yeah. there's a connotation sort of thing. It's almost like land of slavery is just kind of the geographical location that they associate with slavery, whereas house of slaves is feels like something they belong to and that yep. they're sort of intimately connected with. Absolutely. Mm. And I think that that's significant, right? Mm. I, I think another thing would be is everywhere you read Israelites mm. – um, it is actually the sons of Israel. So let's put those two, that, that's what it says in the original text. Now, there may, might be good reasons to translate, especially in the non-gender specific way, that it, sons of Israel are the people who are, are Israelites, right? Yeah. But it takes the word sons out of it and it just says, well, you know, the people, right? Mm. But let's think about the, the, the way those two phrases work differently. Israelites, sons of Israel. Again, the first thing that comes to mind is the family language, the familial language, sons of Israel. This is a this is a the people. This is a group. This is um, more than just a nation, but it's a family uh, under under this figurehead patriarch, Israel. Yeah, whereas you could say Australians, and, and you sort of think, oh, right, that's that's the place basically where you're from. That's the way we sort of think about mm. it. Egyptians, right? They're from from, from Egypt, Egypt, right? Yeah. Sons of Israel says, "Who do we descend from? Yeah, who is our ancestor? Who do we belong to? And what? And their name Israel is the name that the Lord gave Jacob. Yeah, um, strives with God. You know that yeah. that's sort of the wrestler. Yeah, and and, and that is the nature of their relationship. And so you are the sons of the one to whom I gave a promise to. Mm. So every time, so it means that when they're talking about this is what the sons of Israel did, we're always being drawn back into the idea that there was a promise in here yeah. that they are inheritors of. Mm-hmm. And, and so you, you just start to get this um, representative language, house of slavery, sons of Israel, and that's to some extent what I want to draw our attention to. Um, we can easily read these passages and think of you've got Pharaoh and you've got the Egyptians and you've got God, and you've got the Israelites. Whereas it's a bit different. If you want to think about the, the many, the, the, the many is um, you, you've, got, you've got some points where it's Egyptians right, and the sons of Israel. You have got then Egypt and Israel mm. used, used as, a, as an overarching term. 
And then you have Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and you have Yahweh, who for whom Israel and the sons of Israel are my people. Mm. And so you've got, if you think about that sort of three three tier, Egyptians yeah. compared to sons of Israel, you have Egypt as a descriptor of the whole, and you have Israel as a descriptor of the whole, and then you've got the one on top of it. Yeah. King of Pharaoh. Egypt. Yeah. Um, and, and you've got the Lord, right? Yeah. And and so uh, what, what that does is um, there's a bit of backstory to this. So we're actually introduced, it, we, we sort of think of Egypt, again, geographically, but even Egypt in the Bible, the first time turns up is not geographic. No. No, so <laughs> Egypt turns up in Genesis chapter 10. And Egypt is one of the sons of Ham. And Ham was one of the sons of Noah. In fact, Ham was the son of Noah who told his brothers, Shem and Japheth, oh, look, Dad's doing a nudie um, because <laughs> he was plastered and, and, and or, or the, the effect of, the, of having the first fruits of the bubbly vine yes. that he'd grown after yeah. the flood meant, meant that he was passed out stark as in the tent and, and Ham said, hey, have a look at this. Mm. And, and, of course, Shem and Japheth walk backwards with a cloak over their shoulders and, and cover their fa- father's nakedness mm. and Noah curses Ham and the descendants of Ham. Mm. And so two of the sons of Ham are Canaan, and Egypt, right? Yeah, um, wow. Neither of them come out very good in the, in the Bible <laughs> no. and, and both of them end up copying it. And of course they're going to because they're cursed all the way back in Genesis chapter 10, right? Yeah. And so when so there's just Egypt is more than just a geographical description. It is um, a people. Of course, the Israelites are descendants of Shem. They're Shemites, Semites, mm. right? And, and so what we've got here is... There's another interesting thing, which is a, a translation thing, and that is that the word you, you may or may not know. I mean, you, I know you know, <laughs> <laughs> um, but the listeners may may probably know that the word for God, Elohim, in the Hebrew, is a word that also means gods. So mm. the word for God is actually in the plural, so always in the plural. always in the yeah. plural. It's always yeah. in the plural. Um, you can get L every now and then, yeah. Um, but but gen- generally speaking, most of the time you come across the word God in the Bible, it's Elohim, which is could be also as talks about the gods of the nations or the Elohim of the nations, right? Yeah. Right. Um, well, Egypt is the same. So the word for Egypt is Mitzrayim, and that is in the plural. Hmm. And so sometimes when you read that, it is Egypt um, as a as That's a whole. Yeah. And sometimes it is the Egyptians talking about the people. It's talking about the people yeah. because it's the plural. It's mm. in the plural, and so and that turns up a fair bit in this passage. But it's interesting that sometimes it's associated with a plural verb, and sometimes it's associated with a singular verb. And often the ver- what you'll read in the um, it, basically everywhere you read the word Egypt, when you're reading through the text here, you could in your head go, "Would that work better as Egypt or Egyptians?" Mm. Um, and sometimes it's clear in the in original language that there's a, a plural verb attached to it, so it should be translated Egyptians. Sometimes it's just Egypt, right? So <laughs> I'm, now, now that's the that's the long preamble. So yeah. what I want to want us to do is is, um, uh, is to have a, have a look at um, uh, a couple of key parts in chapter fourteen, where is it talking about Egypt, um, symbolic of this people that are under the curse and mm. and and is, when is it just talking about those that lot of people right mm. so first bit i want you to read is, is it well actually i'll read it i'll read it because i've got a translation of it from verses 11 and 12 of chapter 14 
All right, and this is this is where you, you'll see it. So, and they said to Moses, "Were there not enough graves in Egypt, where it's clearly not going to be talking about in Egyptians, right? <laughs> okay, you know, it's going to be Egypt there, right? Definitely enough graves in Egypt that you have taken us out to die in the wilderness. What is this you have done to us to bring us out from Egypt? Egypt is where we belong, is what they're saying. And again, we're getting this idea of identity. We belong, yeah, in Egypt." And which we also have already talked about, the house of slaves. Yeah. Um, is this not the word which we spoke to you in Egypt to say, let us alone and let us be servants of Egypt? Right? Um, Did you want me to read what the NIV says for that part yeah, yeah, of verse yeah, yeah, 12? Yeah, yeah. So didn't didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? Yes. Right. And then it says, For it is better for us serving Egypt than for us to die in the wilderness. Mm. Again, NIV, better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Now, that's not, the NIV is not wrong there, but that's the alternative that's before us, right? Yeah. And up until this point, it's been talking about Egypt. And and if you just continue to translate it that way, and you go, is it, we're to be servants of Egypt. We, that's who we are. We've already identified ourselves earlier in the one you mentioned before. Yeah. To be, we, we are the, we, they talk about to Pharaoh, we are your servants. That's, mm. we, we belong there. Now, here's a thing, um, which we will touch on when we look at the secret passage. <laughs> okay. And that is, what does that make it, what does that tell you when the sons of Israel are saying, um, we, it's better for us to be the servants of Egypt. So Egypt, remember that that, that symbolic head who is under the curse. Mm. God says, "Curse through Noah," um, for Israel to be Egypt's servant. Israel, individual, mm. one who inherits all of these promises, to be the servant of of Egypt. Israel is is the one who is who has Yahweh as their god, mm. and Egypt has got. Pharaoh is their God. So they're willingly placing themselves, and when they mm. place themselves under Egypt, who else are they playing under? Yeah. placing under Egypt's God? They're making their God an inferior to Egypt's God. It's almost like we're going back to chapter 5 again. It is. They've gone, we're going to obey God by painting the blood on the doorposts, and now we're out and we're already going to say again, we're yeah. going to serve Egypt, yeah. putting ourselves as Pharaoh's servants. Whenever things get again. hard, they go back to to putting themselves under being the servant of it. So Israel is the servant of Egypt. Yeah. And um, now um, let's have a, a read on later on. And now when we get to the battle, mm. there's a very interesting play between bits which are clearly plural and ones which I think are a bit more saying this, this is the this is two peoples, Israel and Egypt in, mm. in conflict, whom God is is working with. So let I'll, I'll read it through in the um in an alternative translation. So, and Egypt will know that I am Yahweh when I am glorified by Pharaoh and by his chariots and by his horsemen. And the angel of God set out, the one who went before the host of Israel, and he went behind them. And the pillar of the cloud set out from before them and stood behind them. And it came between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. Run the Egyptians... And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night, and he did not come near, this one to that one, all the night. And Moses stretched out his hand upon the sea, and Yahweh drove back the sea with a mighty wind of the east all the night. And he set the sea as dry land, and he cleaved the waters. 
And again, that's it's cleaving. It's the same word for smiting. Like he's, he's hit it with a blow, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and the sons of Israel came through the midst of the sea on the dry land, and the waters were for them a wall on their right and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued, because it's got they, right? It's, it's actually... It's a plural, plural verb pursuit. There. They pursued. Yeah. Okay. So, and the Egyptians pursued and came after them. Every horse of Pharaoh, his chariot and his horsemen, towards the midst of the sea. It's all just about the plurality of people. Mm. And it was in the morning watch, and Yahweh looked down to the host of Egypt in the pillar of fire and of cloud, and he threw the host of Egypt into confusion. And the wheel of his chariots turned aside, and he drove it in his chariots. Notice that? So that's... Singular, so Pharaoh's chariots, mm. right? Um, aside, and he, Pharaoh, drove it with heaviness. So even though it's talking about the host, it's talking about in the singular, his chariots, and he drove it with heaviness. And Egypt said, let us flee from the face of Israel. So Egypt said, let us flee from the face of Israel, for Yahweh fights for them against Egypt. Mm. Um and Yahweh said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea and return the waters upon Egypt, upon his chariot and upon his horsemen. So you've got God saying, I am going to destroy the house of slavery. Hmm. Um, and, and I am going to fight for the sons of Israel, the one who I promised above the, 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 that, that group that is Egypt, the descendants of, of, of Ham and, uh, and the ones who have... Um, who who are the ones who belong to Pharaoh, and so you just it's it's just a tighter joining together of their corporate identity. Yeah, it's two this corporate thing rather than there were lots of Egyptians who happened to die and lots of Israelites that got through. It's just really tying it a lot closer to to the the figurehead of both these two groups of people. Is that right? Yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. Egyptians are intimately tied to Pharaoh as their king slash god. god. Yeah. yeah. And Israel are supposed to be tied intimately to their king and true God, Yahweh. And and it also says it, it, it has a lot more of the where are you going to belong? Who do you belong to rather than just, you know, what's your racial heritage? Yeah. It's just got that connection. Sure. And, and again, for clarity for where we're going to with our secret passage, that is this, this, this for the sons of Israel to willingly say, we are the servants of Egypt. Um, and we are the servants of e the king of Egypt, the house of slavery. Mm. He's going, I'm saving you out of the slavery house of slavery because you belong to me. And so whenever they put themselves underneath Egypt, they're doing something significant. They're putting their God, whom they belong to, underneath yeah. Egypt. They're, they're bringing the name Actually, of Yahweh. God down. Yeah. yeah, we think you're lesser than Pharaoh. Yeah, yeah. Is, and, it, is and that the implication? Yeah, and, and what does everyone see when they see one nation whose God sub and and they subject another people, yeah. So it automatically makes the God of Israel the God of a pathetic bunch of slaves, mm. um, and uh, but it also says another thing that we were chatting about when we were chatting before is there's uh, a lot of the language these days when we talk about you, you may have picked up on the news is we don't talk about slaves anymore. So when they're talking about mm. reparations and things like that for people in um in the United States and whatever else like that. They talk about enslaved persons. Now, that's a, a helpful bit of language because what's that that's reminding is that 
these are people, it's, it, it points to the injustice. Mm. It, if you are enslaved, someone enslaved you yeah. against your will. And so it talks about you have been enslaved. Yeah, it's nothing yeah. to do with your identity. It's not, and it's not your fault. It's not your fault. Either. Exactly right, right. Um, what we see, the, the Israel that we see developing in Exodus, as you pointed out right earlier, we begin with a, the Lord looking down with compassion. But the more we understand about Israel, is the more we're understanding they're not just enslaved people, they are slaves. Mm. As in, they go, they identify with that slavery and embrace it, mm. even though it's just so destructive yeah. for them. And so, so um, slave is far closer to the identity of the Israelite than just what has happened to them. Yeah. Because they're willingly and continually, whenever they're under pressure, they, they go they go back to wanting yeah. to be a slave. They're drawn back to it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's right. Now um we're going to have a look at our secret passage. <laughs> yeah, so we are gonna jump to much further on in the Bible to one of the major prophets, Ezekiel. And Ezekiel almost has this commentary on what was going on in Egypt and actually brings some theological ideas that we don't necessarily see in the text of Exodus. So I might read that a chunk from Ezekiel now. We're in chapter 20 of Ezekiel, and I think I'll start at verse uh, 4. So this is Ezekiel 24, and I'll stop when I feel necessary. When you feel led. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Will you judge them? Will you judge them, son of man? Then confront them with the detestable practices of their ancestors and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. On the day I chose Israel, I swore with uplifted hand to the descendants of Jacob and revealed myself to them in Egypt. With uplifted hand, I said to them, I am the Lord, your God. On that day, I swore to them that I would bring them out of Egypt into a land I had searched out for them a land flowing with milk and honey, the most beautiful of all lands. And I said to them, each of you, get rid of the vile images you have set your eyes on and do not defile yourselves with the idols of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. I reckon it probably is worth just stopping there. There is other awesome stuff that we'll we'll probably look into in this passage. But here we are starting to see things that are happening that God is revealing to them way back in Egypt. And Ezekiel is making a comment uh, on those. And I think the first thing is God's self-revelation in Egypt. Uh, And I think, Dave, you had some really interesting thoughts about where this might sit if we're looking back at the Exodus narrative around yeah. chapters 3 and anyway. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, so the, the bit that Braden's referring to there is uh, when it says in verse 5 of Ezekiel 20, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, On the day I chose Israel, I swore with uplifted hand to the descendants of Jacob. Now remember, Jacob and Israel. Mm. Sons of so, Israel. Yep, yep. And Jacob and Israel are the same person, right? Yes, yes. And so when he's talking about... I chose Israel, you're thinking, was that when he chose Jacob? Mm. No, because when he's more specific, on the day I chose Israel, I swore with uplifted hand to the descendants of Jacob. Yeah. So the, there's a sense where his choosing of Israel happens in Egypt mm. and it happens to the descendants, right? Yeah. Um, and he says, with uplifted hand, I said to them, uh, oh, sorry, said, and, and revealed myself to them in Egypt. Uh, with uplifted hand, I said to them, I am the Lord your God. Now, when's that talking about? So your mind madly goes back to Exodus. Goes, yeah. Where? And I think we actually hear a lot about it in Exodus chapter 3. Yeah, 15 so to 17. So where it actually it happens is in chapter 4 when Moses and Aaron come back and then tell everything that Yahweh had told them and then 
the the um and then the sons of the Hebrews um bow down yeah um and 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 rejoice and they and they worship God, mm. but but when we hear about the content, it's in chapter three, and where it says um, uh, Moses said to God, you know, um, uh, where is it? Fifteen, verse 15. Yeah, verse 15. So so God says to Moses, right, I am who I am, that famous bit. And then he says, this is what you are to say to the Israelites, to the sons of Israel. I am has sent me to you. And God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, so Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. And there's this revelation, I reveal myself to them. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. Go assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt and into the land of the Canaanites, etc., a land flowing with milk and honey." And so when we get back into Ezekiel, mm. it seems that he's talking about that. Is that he says, I appear to the descendants of Jacob, I revealed myself to them by his name. Yeah. I am has yep. sent has sent me to you through Moses. And then he says, and I will take you to the land of promise. And we just read about him doing that in Exodus. Mm. But the interesting thing is that we don't read about some of the other things that he says to them in yeah. Exodus. Um that stuff that you're reading is about say get rid of the vile images you've set your eyes on do not defile yourselves with the idols of egypt we don't yeah it's really interesting that that doesn't seem to be what's in focus back in exodus that seems like it's ezekiel kind of making a comment about perhaps what was going on behind the exodus narrative for israel uh so what in egypt it's like the lord when he's speaking to his prophet ezekiel to now we should Again, we, we know the context of Ezekiel, but Ezekiel is speaking um, to the exiles. Mm. Well, to the first lot of exiles, I think, at this point in, in the book of Ezekiel. Um, so in other words, they've had hundreds of years of really doing some messed up stuff in the land yeah. of Israel. Cast your mind back to when we did Jeremiah, right? Same sort of same period of time. And so he's, he's like we're getting revealed into something about the Israelites that the writer of Exodus doesn't tell us mm. because he's focusing on God's judgment upon Egypt. But when he's cautioning the exiles in of, of Israel in just when the exile's happening, um, he's revealing that there was something else going on in the hearts yeah. of the very Israelites that we've been reading about mm. in Exodus. It's just it's new information that gets revealed by God, but hundreds of years later. Yeah, and it's really interesting that you think about this point in Israel's history and they've come out of exile. There's been plenty of idol worship going on beforehand. Yeah. We're not necessarily privy to the same sort of thing back in Exodus. Yeah, we're not told that they're worshipping idols at that point. At that point, in yeah. Exodus. In Exodus now. But Ezekiel, God is telling Ezekiel, you bet they did. Yeah, yeah. So right in the bits we're doing, they're worshipping Egyptian gods. Mm. Right? In the passage we're reading. Yeah. yeah. Should I keep reading? Yeah, go for um, it. So this is from verse 8 of uh, Ezekiel 20. But they rebelled against me and would not listen to me. They did not get rid of the vile images they had set their eyes on, nor did they forsake the idols of Egypt. So I said I would pour out my wrath on them and spend my anger against them in Egypt. In Egypt. In Egypt. Yeah. But for your, uh, but for the sake of my name, I brought them out of Egypt. I did it to keep my name from being profaned in the eyes of the nations among whom they lived and in whose sight I had revealed myself to the Israelites. Therefore, I led them out of Egypt and brought them into the wilderness. I gave them my decrees and made known to them my laws by which the person who obeys them will live. 
Also, I gave them my Sabbaths as a sign between us so they would know that I, the Lord, made them holy. I think that is just fascinating because this section is not talking about the Israelites wandering in the wilderness, which which you could easily go, oh, that's what they did when they were wandering in the wilderness. And go, no, that's... This is all information about what they were doing while they were still in Egypt. While they were in Egypt, in slavery. Um, What what are some of the bits that stood out for you out of that section? Well, I think when we're talking about these two houses and these two kind of representative figures Mm. of Israel and Egypt and how um, Israel were uh, in the house, Egypt, sorry, was the house of slaves. Mm. And I think we we see this idea is that seems to bring out, there's actually an activity that goes with that. And I think uh, as Lee, as as far as Ezekiel is commenting on that. And that is that they are not getting rid of these vile images. They're still involved and engaging in serious idol worship. And I think for my passage as well, that really brings out that point that there is sort of a culpability. Mm. They need this sacrificial lamb because actually they are involved in worshiping false gods. Mm. Actually, they are involved in probably the same sorts of pagan worship that Egypt were involved in and needed punishment for. And I think that really Even sharpens... Even though Yahweh has revealed himself to them. Yes, yeah. yes. Despite having Yahweh, they're still engaging in mm-hmm. um, these these. And so that, that makes you think about the doors, doesn't it? How we're talking yeah. about the house. It's like without that painting on it, they may as well be the house of Egypt. Yes. Their houses were Egyptian. Yeah. And inside and out. Yes. And yeah. spiritually so. Spiritually. That, yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. Yeah. So that's fascinating stuff. The other thing is, is that I said, because they... F- had done all of this, I said I would pour out my wrath on them and spend my anger against them in, in Egypt. Egypt. And I wonder if that is um, a, a, a a sense where, you know, that, that implication that the first three plagues, because yeah. at plague four, God specifically says, I will distinguish now between um, the Israelites yeah. and, 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 and the Egyptians. It, it sort of says, well, the fact that you're now making a distinction kind of implies that for the first three you didn't make a distinction. And certainly, as you pointed out in the, in the Passover, uh, if they didn't paint it, they would get exactly the what the thing. rest of the Egyptians yeah. would have got. Yeah. The, the same angel would have gone right through their house and killed yeah. their firstborn because they weren't acting like his firstborn. If they'd done that, they would have been repudiating him by not yeah. obeying the word of their God. Yeah. And instead, associating themselves with exactly, as the house of slaves, associating the themselves with, with Egypt, mm. and so I, I think there is a sense where you, there is a God is there is a partial judgment that falls upon Israel because God was genuinely angry at them, mm. and they could quite they could have just as been willingly or just as justifiably been hit by those plagues as Egypt was, yeah. mm. but why does Ezekiel tell us that they don't happen? says, but for the sake of my name, I brought them out of, out of Egypt to stop his name being profaned. Mm. So remember, profaned means to have something holy made common. Mm. And so, and this ties into that idea of the God of Egypt and the God of Israel. Israel. If Israel is serving yeah. Egypt as slaves, then the God of Israel is inferior to the God of Egypt. Yeah. And that is bringing God down, that is profaning him. Yeah. And when those people are not just slaves by being enslaved, but are willing slaves of it, they are profaning God's name. Mm. And so you get the sense where God is 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 if you put these things together, Exodus really highlights the fact that God is bringing his people out of Egypt. Um, because of the promises that he made to their ancestors, mm. that is for the sake of his name. Um, but but in this later context, God reveals to Ezekiel that they're also being brought out because he can't tolerate any longer his people 
being slaves in every sense of the word because it actually brings his name down. Yeah. So it's it's yeah. not just that he's going to honour a promise made to their ancestor, but their very existence in slavery in Egypt brings down the name of the God who mm. is attached to them. And and I think perhaps we might finish with reflecting upon how that maybe is a something we can hear, right? When we yeah. when we just live uh, though we are we belong to Christ and we act like the rest of the world does, mm. and we 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 um, concede and roll over and just just yeah. um, to 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 our sin and to its its rule and, and and just give up all the time. We are profaning the name of Christ. We are making the Christ name of Christ, which belongs and and is 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 whom whom we've been marked, um, mm. common and and in a sense uh, under. Uh, under the ruler of the kingdom of the air, whom whom yeah. the sinful world is, yeah. and yet we bear the name of Christ. So, so you see see that idea of it's it's we've been set slavery from, free from our slavery to sin because God has promised that He would do that. But there's also this, you know, chastening reminder that when we just um, become like the world around us, we actually profane the name of the one who means so much to us, and we don't want to do that. Yeah. Any last things you want to kind of? Yeah, I think sometimes we do this when we speak negatively of things that might be in the Bible, um, particularly in, I guess, a context where we're speaking with people who aren't Christians and we try to um, make some things that are in the Bible more mundane or even apologize for them. Mm. And I think while we, we, we want to share the truth with grace and generosity and love, we also don't want to negatively put forward what God has put forward as good in his mm. word. And I think when we do that, we kind of sort of start to slide into this profaning of the Lord's name. You know, if, and even say, we, we, no, we're with you. We're with you on that. Yeah. We, we belong with you. And going, well, do we? Do we? Yeah. <laughs> well, we might, but Christ doesn't. And if we're saying that he does, then actually we're profaning his name. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think sometimes we just need to be careful that we don't um, bring Christ's name down by trying to seem more appealing or seem um, apologetic even of, of God's word, but actually recognize that those things are good and mm. celebrate them and that the one who has given them has given them for good reasons and because he is good uh, rather than bringing him down um, with our, I don't know, insecurities. Mm. And if, and if, if uh, perhaps as a, if this is not over egging it, there's a sense if we think about that sort of three levels of, of identity, how you've got, you know, the, the, the sons of Israel, and then you've got Israel, and then you've, you've got the Lord. It's like yeah. there, there, there are the, there are the Christians, there is the church, and there is Christ, mm. uh, and, and there is a sense where, where. Um, Christ's church is his body. It is precious to him and there's an identity to him. So, so there, there's a kind of thing where we go, now where do you belong? I, I belong in the church. It is the body of Christ who mm. is my head. And, uh, mm. and, and everything gets to, the, the, which is why it's not just my reputation matters. Our church's reputation matters. The way we act as a gathering matters yeah. and it all bears on the name of our glorious Saviour. Yeah. So interesting stuff. Amen. So <laughs> I've, uh, I've been Dave. <laughs> And I've been Braden. And uh, next week, there probably won't be a podcast, but there will be in a couple of weeks after that as we continue to delve into the wonderful depths of the book of Exodus. See you then. 